0: Ready graphics? Ready theme? Good evening. More information tonight. Hi, I'm Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And this is FYI. The Murphy Brown Podcast. Quirky outfit, what? But in a stiff way, but also with a little
1: bit of jazz (laughs) to it. The moment that my ovaries like pulsed a little bit. Anyone ever told you you're You're a real
0: schmazel? Who
1: is this woman?
0: And on today's episode, we'll be talking about season one, episode five, Murphy's Pony.
1: Hello. Welcome to Happy Christmas Kwanzaa Day. Non-secular holiday. Yes, this day that happens to, for some people, be a holiday. Just December 25th. Just December 25th. Or Chinese food and Christmas. Hey, whatever. We're currently recording it during Hanukkah. So for us today, and for Lauren, Happy Hanukkah. Thank you. And for um, everyone listening on... December 25th, when you're this is actually airing, uh, you know, happy Christmas over at the pond and Merry Christmas here. While well, you were
0: listening to this, I am in a multiplex with my family, and then mm. we're going to go out for Chinese food. Hence the reference. Nice. Yes.
1: Yeah, we're gonna, um, as you're listening to this, I am definitely sitting on my sister's couch drinking coffee with eggnog in it mm. and cuddling probably with either her cat or her baby. I have
0: never had eggnog. What?
1: It is my favorite thing. I am so glad it's not available all year round or I would be three times the size I am right now. Just
0: never kind of came
1: across it. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna fix this for you. So we are talking about season one, episode five, Murphy's Pony. Oddly enough, the first episode is not named after the featured song in the episode. Good point. right? So I think that because it's not the title, that's why we had trouble remembering what the songs
0: were. Yeah, because I've talked that this is one of my favorite songs, "Heatwave," mm-hmm. and yet it is not listed as my favorite song on the website, because I couldn't remember that it was in season one when we went through all the songs. So everyone, the website may be different by the time you're listening to this, because we may
1: have changed it. This uh, episode is written by Diane English, uh, directed by Barnett Kelman, Woo-hoo. kind of the Wonder Duo. It aired December 11th, 1988. The opening song is Heat Wave by our favorites, Martha and the Vandellas. It was penned in 1963 by Holland Dozier Holland, a songwriting team we're familiar with. And it let me see, on the Gordy label, it hit number one on Billboard Hot R&B chart. Stayed for four weeks. Uh, It's a good song. It's a classic. I mean, and peaked number four on Billboard Hot 100. Pretty nice. So, you know, well done, team. Uh, So we open with the song Heat Wave by Martha and the Vandellas. And... It's not actually a heat wave because the entourage we're watching is a massive blizzard snow day in Washington, D.C.
0: I love the juxtaposition of the song and the footage is great. It's
1: brilliant. Another fun fact is um, when I heard the song open, I was immediately sent back to childhood and watching the opening of
0: Sister Act, which also opens on this song. Well, if we're going to talk about Sister Act, we definitely have to give a shout out to Mark Shaman. Oh, yeah. He arranged um, all the music in it. Mm -hmm. He put everything together. And the reason I want to do that, other than him being super talented, is that Mark is from my hometown. Mm -hmm. In fact, when I was 16, I wrote him a fan letter. Who
1: did you not write a fan letter
0: to? Many, many people that I I didn't.
1: (laughs) You had the balls my childhood self did not have. I was too afraid to ever send the letters that I wrote.
0: I had large expectations for my future. And I had none. And look where we are now. Look at us. (laughs) So
1: we're opening on this snow day. And... The thing that I love about it is that it is touted to throughout the episode is this massive blizzard that happened. Whereas to me, it just looks like a normal snow day in the Midwest. corrects cracks me up. It, we so we in school basically just didn't have snow days. That's crazy. Unless it was a shut down the town kind of snow. Because if we had full on snow days, our school year would go into August. That makes sense. So you would you prayed for the day that you got to be two hours late to school. So this doesn't look bad to me. (laughs) So the montage happens, the elevator door opens, and Murphy bursts in in a bright blue scarf and a matching bright blue FYI hat, which, by the way, eBay or somewhere else better have because I need to
0: own this. You used to be able to get it off of the Warner Brothers catalog.
1: I don't have one of those handy.
0: You need a time machine.
1: Oh, dang it. Yeah, sorry. Anyway. So she bursts in, covered in snow, in this matching blue and blue hat and scarf, uh, demanding everyone's attention. And we find out someone parked in her spot.
0: Something that I think is so great about this moment, and again, watching them in order Mm -hmm. that you realize, is that I hadn't noticed that this is the first Murphy tirade Tirade. speech. Yeah, Yeah. That she had sort of moments like this, Mm -hmm. but this is the first one where there are several full-on monologues that
1: become a staple of the show. This is what Murphy does. And I... I recognized it as such. I didn't realize that that actually hadn't really happened yet. I hadn't either. What I love is she goes in this thing about how she she had parked three blocks away, had to walk through a blizzard, which in her voice sounds like I had to walk both ways uphill, to her lowly job where she just like gives the normal people the news. How she's been working her entire life.
0: Sacrifice the best years of my life.
1: Doing all these things so that she doesn't have to worry about that and she can have her own space, but it's fine. As she's doing this, she's ripping her hat off, ripping her scarf off, punctuating with the spraying snow everywhere, especially on the dude right behind her.
0: It's such great comic timing, and it, it's something I had not noticed. And maybe it's because this is an episode that I have not seen. The, out of season one, this is the episode that I haven't seen the most. She's emphasizing sort of the jokes mm-hmm. in, as she takes something off and she whacks it. It's not like she just takes it off, it's that she kind of whips it, mm-hmm. which makes a sound, which mm-hmm. sort of punctuates the humor of it. And it's such great comic timing.
1: This just reminds me of I work in a very busy part of New York City in my day job this time of year. And this entrance that she does just reminds me of every day that I have to like push my way through crowds of tourists to try and get into my office and the rants that I go on on my way in. And I just feel such a kinship.
0: Maybe this is a good public service announcement. If you're visiting the New York City area, dear tourists, please don't walk four people in a row down the sidewalk, because no one can get past the other way.
1: Hey, we are so happy that you are here and excited about our coming. city. Thank you for coming. Just keep in mind that where you are, people are, are trying to get to work or, or live in their lives. And if you want to take a picture, that's cool. Just just don't stop in the middle and do it and not be aware that there are
0: people right behind you that now are going to run into you. Two by two is fine. Yes. It's fine for the arc. It's fine for the streets of New yes. York City. Yes, that's beautiful. Thank you.
1: And... You know, maybe don't walk your entire family five across the sidewalk, ignoring the fact that people that sidewalks and stairwells go both directions. Don't go in the subway and stop in the doorway. Don't hold hands in your giant. I'm sorry. We're gonna
0: we're, we we're becoming Murphy Brown. Right. We are now. becoming
1: Murphy Brown, and we have we live here. So anyway, please come to our city. Please come to our city. Oh, whoa. Yes. Did this just in? This just in. News bulletin from Jesse. I was gonna say earlier that. The thing that I have to remember about the snow day and why it's not the same as the prairie is that that I've learned in New York City, the cities, especially on the East Coast, Mm -hmm. handle it differently because they don't have the space to plow and move things out of the way as quickly as possible. Uh, So anyway, as she's talking, she describes in detail with the license plate of the
0: car that took her spot. It's a 1988 red Honda hatchback. Mm
1: hmm. We never come back to the to identifying who it is, except we all oh, know. it's Miles. Because it pans over to Miles's face as he just looks on in terror and wilts. And we get another beloved Murphy threat of, be forewarned, you are no longer safe in this town.
0: And she's going to figure out at some point that, oh, well, yeah, that yeah. Miles has an 82 red Honda hatchback. Yeah, she's going to find that out. Which is such a great comedic sentence because of all the H's. <laughs> so many H's. So right after that,
1: we have another employee show up, and that is Frank. And he's also in a little matching ensemble. He has a red scarf and a beanie ski mask combo. Miles, what do I love about Miles in this episode is we see a bit more of him establishing himself as a a valid contributor and the boss of this office. But he's so encouraging. He's so I positive. Really love that. And but he's also speaking to people as the boss without trying to compensate. As like he's not trying to prove he's the boss. He is the boss. So. While he's young and excitable, he's giving positive encouragement. He's saying, hey, I I got your I saw your Beirut story. Great job on that. And it's a great way
0: of saying, I'm, I'm paying attention to what you're doing. And, and I think you're doing great. Sorry, I just thought of this concept. I'm not even sure if this is anything, but it just sprung into my head. Hmm. He's like the new stepdad. He is the, oh. Oh, Miles.
1: Really great job, kids. Yep. He's I'm a your new dad. Who's, a, who's maybe a little closer to them in age than they want. Uh, so Frank, we were talking about this, that the thing I love about Frank is that, and I think we were saying why he's such a good friend for Murphy. Frank doesn't have, he's not identified by a status at the job. He's not, uh, he always speaks to Miles as a peer. He, I think that's why he later in this episode gets along with the children very well. Frank is very secure in who he is and, and doesn't need to, to compensate for anything. And so the way he talks to Miles is is as an equal, and even as his boss, you know, taking in the feedback
0: and so on. And we haven't quite seen neurotic Frank yet. We are going to find out that under that, that oh, Frank yeah. is extremely neurotic. Oh, he's he's a been mess. in therapy. Mm-hmm.
1: However, we may not have neurotic Frank quite yet, but we're getting an inkling of it in that he really doesn't want to talk right now. He just got back from the airport. He's been gone for three weeks. Beirut has nothing on Dulles Airport on Christmas. And we find out that some old lady body checked him at baggage claim, thinking that he was stealing her bag. Frank's response to being accused of stealing this woman's bag is, like, I really want a paisley tote with I'm Billy's grandma embroidered on the side. (laughs) And then Jim enters... And as the third person to enter, Jim changes the game a little bit because he, like a consummate journalist, is in this wool-long black coat, this gray scarf, and the most amazing black hat. I love that hat. He, he looks like an old-school journalist, which he is, I mean, he, but he looks the part, and he's just unfazed. That hat literally has character development, right? It's amazing, and he's what I love is that he's barely dusted with snow. He's just chill. Morning men, morning men. Hope the
0: coffee's hot. It's damn cold out there. Something I realized because I I typed out a couple of of Jim's quotes in this episode is he talks in very short sentences. Like mm-hmm. he's doing the news. It's statement,
1: statement, statement. I love it. It's uh, it's so Jim, and you've mentioned this, and it's something that I that I love is that the way that these characters are developed on the page is you can look at the line and know who said it, and that Mm -hmm. is such a Jim thing.
0: And there are also very few writers who can um, achieve something like that. Mm -hmm.
1: So he is wearing this very chic ensemble and unfazed by the blizzard outside. I'm sure he got his space. And he's holding a red shopping bag because he had to grab the last few things. He got Dan Rather and Tom Brokaw the same thing. We were talking about before we recorded was that the way that Jim goes crazy... Like, he says, I went a little crazy this year. And you just see that he's still very proper and put together, but he has these little, like, shakes and twitches to him that he thinks, like, it's like a slight widening of the eyes that is Jim's. So he says, I went a little crazy this year, and he pulls out this, what to us now looks like this dinky little it looks hair looks like a wire.
0: little tiny... Like hotel,
1: yeah. It looks like a hotel little white hair dryer, and he says it got the four speed with the wall mount. And then he pulls out one with a diffuser attachment to it that looks space age. It looks huge. <laughs> it looks huge that he got for Ted Koppel.
0: What I love is, and it's it's really subtle, but uh, and this is just a great testament to Charles Kimbrough. Mm. Is he pulls it out. And he sort of shakes it a bit, in, but in a stiff way, but also with a little bit of jazz to it. <laughs> He's really letting go. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's so subtle because I think it must be so hard to, to play that sort of stiffness. Cause I know Charles Kimbrough is is a real fun guy. Yeah. Not that I know him personally, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> when we had coffee yesterday, yeah. it was real fun. Uh, and so to do that, but also like add a little bit of excitement to it, I just... I mean, jumping ahead to the end of the episode, when Jim dances... Oh, my God. It's my favorite. It's just... Oh. But the shaking of that hairdryer has always been my favorite, one of my favorite physical moments that he does. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. It's so crazy, but I love it. It's,
1: he's really, uh, Charles Kimbrough is just locking into Jim at this point, and it's, it's why he's one of my favorite characters. So then Corky enters, and I have in all caps, Corky outfit, what? She has this black pencil skirt on, uh, this red blouse. Again, she's like pulling off these like long-sleeved lovely outfits, um, with a red and white black scarf pinned again like she had last episode. And what I like in this first season they're doing with her and so that she's not directly in style competition with Murphy, she doesn't have the same hairdo. Her hair is often in the half back, half
0: up. um, Sometimes they do though. Uh, I don't know if it continues, but this sort of hairspray side thing, particularly in the pilot, their hair looked exactly the same.
1: Well, and I think, you know, they worked out of them looking exactly the same after Devil with the Blue Dress on. But, And that was also just that sprayed side was very of the time. Mm -hmm. But I love that she has a lot of hair clips, which I try to clock every time. And this one, she has this gold bow in the back. And the center of the bow is this gorgeous white cameo.
0: I didn't have the cameo, but I definitely had a gold bow clip. I have so many clips. I love it.
1: So Corky walks in and sweet Corky, uh, she is... Playing what she knows, she is playing gender dynamics and what she, th- how she thinks girls talk. And in this particular snare, she walks in, assuming, saying she knows they're just standing over there by the water cooler talking about women. And Sweet Miles is still very literal at this point,
0: and says, no, "No, we're not." I think he also just is new to knowing quirky because I feel like yeah. later on he gets more upset with her. But then also when you get more comfortable with people, they become like family, exactly. and you act a little, bit, you know, out of turn. But um, he's very confused by her assumption.
1: And she is on a mission, as as Corky does, and has discovered that no one's doing anything about the Christmas party tomorrow. So she's taking charge and needs to fill some committee positions, which I wonder how many people she has to create committees, actually.
0: I feel like except for kind of the main crew who have more of, you know, Murphy Frank a stature mm-hmm. at the show, I think that she's hard to say no to. I believe.
1: Which is why I'm surprised that she has Miles decorations. If she has so many people they could probably just run out and aren't but, but she doesn't think about that stuff. Of course not. It's one of the first times where I think he's acknowledging that he's not gonna do grunt work because that's that's something yeah. like he's busy. Also, I think there's something to their relationship because he hired her. Oh so yes. she's the one person that he can kind of school around if he needs to. And he says, No, I'm I'm and then she you know, appeals to his Christmas spirit and he says, I'm not required to have any, I'm Jewish. Which Corky then laughs off
0: with, "Oh no, you're not," and just walks away. You are not. <laughs> I'm gonna guess, huh. based on my experience in this interplay, okay, is that Miles is Corky's first Jew? I guess that would make sense. I have been many people's first Jew. This makes no sense to me. Yes, because I'm from Jersey. I'm from Jersey. I went to college in Long Island. I went to grad school in New York City. Uh, have lived in New York City for many years, and even still to this day. I am sometimes people's first Jew. People,
1: I I grew up in the prairie in Minnesota, and I knew Jewish people and Mormon people. I, I don't understand. Sort of
0: flabbergasted by it. Well. And I've gotten questions from, oh, well, Jews also believe in Jesus, right? No, that's actually the kind of the big, huge difference. That's kind of the thing. Yeah. To in high school, do you celebrate Thanksgiving? Oh. Yes, of course I celebrate Thanksgiving. Why would I not celebrate Thanksgiving? I have so many
1: thoughts and reactions to that that would take us off topic. But needless to say, these are things I have never said.
0: Sure. <laughs> and I'm going to guess that you have it. I think it's interesting. I'm not trying to bring down the podcast. I think it's interesting. No, I think it's really, so I think really that, sad. <laughs> I don't think that Corky is one of these people no. that we're alluding to. I think that the thing is that since Corky has never met someone who's Jewish, mm-hmm. that's something that's alien to her and very different. And he doesn't seem alien or different exactly. to her. Exactly. So, so why would he, doesn't, he be that thing? Some people that I've met, I get that sort of connection mm-hmm. of, oh, well, it's just the experience. Just like when I went to college, mm-hmm. I didn't understand that there were different denominations of Christianity. Oh, Lord, there are so many. I, yes. So um <laughs> I made the mistake of calling someone Catholic. Ooh. And that's a, for
1: like, for people who grew up in Christian households, like, if there's one division, it's Catholic and Protestant, mm-hmm. let alone all of well, the Protestants. She was Protestant.
0: But yeah, and I find it hilarious now. But it was, it was definitely a teaching moment for me because mm-hmm. I, I was brought up with there are Jews and there are non-Jews. Mm-hmm. That's... That's what it is, because that was my experience. Sure, Particularly, you know, growing up in this country, which is a very Christian country. Mm-hmm. That happens
1: throughout lives, regardless of if you're in America. But it can happen where it's it's your country and everyone else. It can happen where it's your family and everyone else. Like, you start with your first identity. And so everything outside of that is an other.
0: Exactly. Until yeah. you're exposed to more diversity. So it, may, it makes perfect sense that... Um, but as the show goes on, mm-hmm. Corky learns a lot more. Sure. Oh, does she? In this episode, even particularly. Indeed. So the elevator opens and these three young kids come out, oh. jackets falling off and hats and paper really in their hand. Murphy comes out of her office. She's finally uh, gotten the approval to follow the president to China. Yeah. Uh, the way that Miles reacts, it seems that this was something that she's working hard on and they weren't sure what happened. He's like, I knew you can do it. And these kids come up and they, they ask if, uh, if she's Murphy Brown. <laughs> Uh, And she says, yes. And one of the kids goes, is this an old picture?
1: Really? Is this an old picture? (laughs) Again, riffing on on how Murphy looks. And this is the second time where there's been a joke made at Murphy's expense and Miles gleefully giggles behind her. Oh, I
0: didn't notice that. After the
1: the Murphy Lowenstein thing. It's the same thing where he's just like
0: giggling behind her unabashedly. So Murphy thinks they want her autograph. She wants them to go away. They're collecting for something. They hand her this letter. Uh, What I love is that you can tell the pictures from out of a magazine, because it has like an ad on the back, Mm -hmm. so that was a really, really good detail. And the letter pretty much says that their mother just can't take care of these kids, It's very sad, is giving the children to Murphy because she's seen her on TV, and she Mm -hmm. thinks that she would be a better mother to them than she could be.
1: It says, Dear Miss Brown, these are my three children, Joey, Michael, and Lily. I love them very much. I think I paraphrased that part, but... She loves them very much. She can no longer afford to keep them. I watch you on TV and you seem like you could give my children the home they deserve. Mm. Which, ow.
0: This is a very traditional sitcom trope. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Film trope as well. But like particularly, I feel like this happened on Designing Women as well. Am I wrong? I would not be surprised. I don't remember Designing Women. I don't well. remember it that well. My but friend. This is this is not an, uh, an unused. Yes. An unused trope. trope she asks them where their mother is the kids don't know miles reads the letter and goes no i don't think this is a joke guys because murphy figures the parking space this Mm -hmm.
1: exactly yeah someone's pulling something and when they ask when she asks him where's your mother she says mom says you're our mother now oh which again murphy's like "Uh uh-huh sure she's just like strutting around ignoring i can't
0: be your mother i don't like kids that's why i don't have any Ooh. cut to cut to uh, so Murphy just goes fine I have to go to China you're the boss handle it and she goes into her office and leaves Miles with yeah. these kids who immediately start messing with stuff
1: these are terrible children they're actually not that terrible but the funny thing is is like a, they walked in on their little mission not touching a thing the second they deliver their mission then they start messing with everything
0: well I, watching it several times this week mm-hmm. I, I did think you know what it's a very traumatic situation these kids just want their mom mm-hmm. I should cut this in some slack.
1: Skipping ahead, but they go into her office and they're surrounded by like toys. Yeah, well, how could you not think that that oh, they're toys? They must be for me. I spent a lot of my childhood running around my mom's office and the op- building her office was in, and I loved touching office stuff.
0: I found that so fascinating. Did you notice uh, a yeah. little wrestler action figure in the fishbowl? Mm-hmm. I feel like we have to watch the fishbowl like it's CJ's fishbowl on the West Wing. Exactly. And Lily, the little girl, grabs the rubber lobster. <laughs> Do not touch that lobster. You can't play with it. It's mine. It's so childlike. So I feel like because this is an episode written by Diane English. Yes. That we need to mention if you don't follow Diane on social media. She loves lobsters. Loves lobsters. Anything. This has to have been right what you know. She gave her a little Easter egg of lobsters. So Murphy asks if the kids know Connie Chung. (laughs) They can be her mom. Miles finally suggests that the kids are just going crazy in the office and Murphy can't take it. And Miles suggests that they just call the police, social services. And Murphy's like, you're right. You know, I'm I'm famous. This will be resolved by lunchtime. By lunchtime, this will be all over. Famous last words
1: in a sitcom. Guys, guess what? It's not over by lunchtime.
0: It's not over by lunchtime. We
1: cut ahead... And she's on the phone saying, please don't transfer again. Please don't put me on hold again. And the kids are... well. So we have the boys on the floor with Frank playing cards. Can we
0: talk about Frank and the kids? Oh, in a second. Okay.
1: Um. So the boys are on the floor with Frank playing cards. Lily is over on her chair, kind of half sitting on the desk, trying to be with her. And she says she can't listen to on sing Silver Bells one more time. So she hangs up. And then we have... We we focus in on Frank And the boys. And this is the moment that my ovaries like pulsed a little bit because he's teaching them five card draw. And he has this great moment where he says, what do you do if you draw two kings and an ace? And I think it's Joey. Draw two to the pair and hold the ace kicker. And he's so proud of himself. And Frank is so proud of him because he passed this on. It makes me really happy.
0: I just literally wrote in all caps, Frank is so good
1: with kids. So good with kids. He must have like 17 nephews.
0: Well, he's got so many siblings. It also made me go... I mean, I know that for Avery, I'm sure that Frank and Eldon were like fathers to him, sure. right? I mean, everyone sure the the, the sort of the main two mm-hmm. men in his life. But I really hope that after we left the series, that Frank found someone and had kids. Uh, Frank is he's
1: such
0: that guy. You're dad. like, I just want you to find someone and have some kids. You'd be such a good dad. Yeah, a,
1: he's lovely, and in that, like, he's somebody. His security in himself, he knows he's a neurotic mess. He knows who he is. He's confident and in who he is. I think it just makes him comfortable around kids. He's not trying to be anything but himself. It's that it's when I was a kid, it, I was the only kid most of my life. Most of the people in my family were adults. Mm-hmm. And so I was always drawn to people who spoke to me like I was one of the adults. Yeah. Frank talks to these kids like they're people. Yeah. And you, kids love that. They don't kids know when you're talking down to them. They don't I always like try it. to do that. Absolutely. At the same time Lily's playing with scissors. <laughs> Yeah. Frank over I love it she's like, like Frank can you idiot. he just picks her up takes yeah. her over like that's like, he's such a dad or an uncle he just is ready to go and Auntie Corky now I, I know she says Auntie Corky I refuse to acknowledge that <laughs> as the pronunciation Auntie Corky pops in with three ice cream cones and of course she loves kids and she says a, um, "I love you Corky but she says a semi unforgivable thing I have the
0: quote do you have the quote oh I have the quote go for it
1: um, and I will say I love you Corky this is unforgivable. She <laughs> says, It must be really hard watching them with no one special in your life, and you're probably not ovulating anymore. This is one of
0: my favorite lines of the whole episode. It's. It lands working. with me differently now, though. She is not a senior citizen. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> but a lot of younger people think that
1: 40 is old. Sure. And I will say, she's. First and foremost... She should t- know that you still get your period when you're 40. True. She's not 21 years
0: old. She's True. not a baby. She's not.
1: She's an adult woman. So she should know better than that. However, there is also the balance of the fact that the way Jim and Murphy make snap judgments about Miles being young mm-hmm. or Corky being young. So there's a trade-off. We, I, When you're in the younger demographic you assume things of the older demographic that once you get to that age... And for a while, realize, this is
0: going to be, you know, Murphy's sort of, you that's know... That's dynamic. Yeah, because Corky's just very
1: honest. Yes, she just... So I I appreciate that Corky's not coming from a place of judgment, and that's why we love Corky. She's not coming from a place of mean-girling. No, she's when not. she says that, but Corky, come, come on. on. But that's her frame of reference. That is, and, and I, I just... I love her, but dang, Corky. When...
0: When I was 30, someone told me my eggs were too old. That's so wrong. It's a funny are... story now. Oh, mm-hmm. sorry.
1: Well, un- unless you have a, a family history that says otherwise, that's ridiculous.
0: I agree. It's a funny story now. I think I may have cried at the time. Probably, because, uh, yeah. I was on a uh, J-date. No. I was. Of course you were. I'm sorry. So uh, this guy, you know, we're, we're chatting. We're having a really mm-hmm. good conversation. Longer than usual. Mm-hmm. And then just sort of out of nowhere, he changes the subject, and he's like, you know, Lauren, I, I want you to know that. Because um, he was like maybe like four years, five years younger than me. Okay. He said, Go you, by the way. Thank you. I look younger, so I tend to date younger people, but. And, uh, and he said, you know, I'm, because I'm in college right now, and then eventually I'm gonna go to law school, uh, so I'm gonna be in school for a while, and I wanna have children. By the time I get out of law school, you'll be pushing 40. Wow, that is, there are so many,
1: there's so much to unpack in that. Mm -hmm. Many assumptions.
0: Yes. (laughs) Um, So I, of course, got very uh, upset at this, considering we had been talking for that long. But he just wanted to be honest because he's not looking for a relationship, but we could have some fun if you'd like. Yes, because
1: you're a lost cause if he was looking for a relationship. Sure.
0: Um, I want to hit him. mm. Just
1: with like a, a women's health book. I want to hit him with that, along with all of the other assumptions that were in that.
0: I did get him back a little bit. Ooh. So uh, so I, of course, you know, got very upset at that. And uh, he said, well, one day you'll make a really great MILF. Oh. Now, I didn't know what MILF meant at the time. Oh. I asked, I said, I don't know what that means. And he said, I'm not going to explain that cultural reference to you. To which I said, I said, I'm typing. To which I said, well, you'll, excuse me, I have to go join AARP. And he said, what's that? And I said, I'm not going to explain that cultural reference to you. And then I closed the window.
1: Yeah, you did. And then I cried. <laughs> and that's okay. So you you walked out strong. You mic dropped that. And then you had your moment. End
0: in a comic dialogue. Yeah, you did. I did. I'm proud of you. Thank you.
1: So, sweet Corky puts her foot in her mouth without realizing it. And then we're out in the um, in the main office area. And the kids are... Giggling with ice cream, and I'm just, my inner self is dying a little bit because they're using the the conical sugar cones. It's dripping everywhere. Like, I, I can't stand stickiness on my hands. That's why I don't like those particular ice cream cones. I usually get things in a cup.
0: I figured they picked it because it probably stayed on Jim's head better.
1: Jumping ahead. Sorry. Sorry. So I just don't like dripping everywhere. So I don't like those cones. And most people like them. They're delicious. Waffle cones are also that shape. I like a cup. I like a cup. I don't I don't like I don't like stickiness and I don't like feeling like I'm being rushed to eat my food Mm -hmm. and then starts dripping out the bottom so I'm just saying I'm right and then Jim walks in and what I love again with this the way he delivers things says all right, now, what's this I hear about a bunch of unruly tots tearing up my newsroom? Hardly the kind of behavior that will get you anywhere in the world. Now gather around at that desk and I'll tell you a story. He's so
0: fatherly. He's
1: so fatherly. and I
0: was just like, oh, gee. And he uses his TV voice. It is. It's the he's night like, before. Now, what
1: is this I hear about unruly tots? The night before Christmas. Twas the night before. So a Sorry, random. again, Jew. One of my favorite things in this moment. Mm-hmm. And I realize that on these podcasts, I say my favorite thing. One of my favorite things. Oh, me too. I I love things. I love them hard and I love them strong. But there is a moment when the kids are sitting on the desk where the little girl playing Lily just is looking straight at her handler behind the camera. She is just looking
0: out to make sure she's in the right spot. Should we quickly talk about these kids who play them? Yes. Okay. So we have Todd Cameron Brown Mm is Michael, who I love this. Uh, I discovered, is Jules at the end of Back to the Future 3. Yes. yes. For our sci-fi Back to the Future time travel fans. Mm-hmm. At the end of Back to the Future 3, Doc Brown has two kids named Jules and Vern. Mm-hmm. And one of them is the kid who plays Michael. Yep. Um, so then we have um, Eden
1: Gross, I believe is how you say his name,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, playing Joey. He worked a lot in the 1980s so and 90s. Much.
0: I recognized his face right away.
1: Exactly. He's all over the place.
0: And then we have uh, Chelsea Hertford as Lily, much like what Todd just didn't really work that much into adulthood.
1: So Jim starts towards the night before Christmas and the kids immediately kind of look at each other like they don't care. And the kid playing Michael, I believe, just sticks his ice cream cone upside down
0: on Jim's head, and the horror on Jim's face. Every time I see that, I just imagine how many times they had to practice it, because you can see he's <laughs> trying to position it so that it's right. just right, in the way that they told him to do it, so it doesn't fall off. Yep, Charles as it Kimbrough's head up the right way. Oh, they must have practiced that so many times.
1: Well, because it is—it's a very, very deliberate <laughs> boink. We're back in the office. We find out Murphy, no one can come until tomorrow to yeah. get the kids she cannot wait until tomorrow so she tells frank to take them and he can't help i've been away for three weeks my cat's probably dead the kids
0: shouldn't see that yeah it's obviously an excuse though because frank yes. just doesn't want to do it no his, i bet been he has a date i was really thinking he was going to say he had a date with someone oh i was actually thinking he just wanted to go home and relax oh that's that too <laughs> and i also love the fact that i had forgotten that that frank had a cat i think that's why i love frank so much i kept thinking of trickster i know that jim mm-hmm. has a dog yep yeah He's a cat person. Yep. Just as like, a
1: as a fellow cat person, I'm. This is why I love Frank. Probably.
0: Like when we find out that he has a lot of sisters. I'm like, yeah. Yep. That makes total sense.
1: Of course you do. Mm-hmm. So then Murphy's like, no, I can do it. I've been through worse. I'm an adult. I've got the upper hand. And that's the <laughs> moment when I was like, oh, the rubber chicken with the noose on the coat rack. Mm. And and she also she tries to take the
0: hat off. She has an issue with the hat again.
1: Yep. Like
0: God, oh, just leave the hat.
1: And I love that her reaction. I mean, when you think about it, what is all this whining on thirty something?
0: That's the only joke I feel like in the entire series that I. I think is very specific to the time. Absolutely, because the political stuff you know or semi know just because it's history. Um, Mm -hmm. But that one, I was like, oh, that one doesn't really pass the test of time. Unfortunately, Uh, I was too young for thirty something. I tried to watch it.
1: It's it's never connected with me. So she walks out with this like, no, I can take it, and announces they're coming with her, and immediately the tantrums commence.
0: Yeah, again, these kids are horrible. They're not horrible. Their mother
1: left them. Well, I did say, I, I, and they're exhausted. Several
0: viewings. I decided, you know what? I need to cut them some slack. They miss their mommy and they're with, with a strange woman poor kid. who they do not like. So they arrive at uh, Murphy's house. Uh, Eldon is there. He's shocked. He didn't know that she had kids. <laughs> I love the fact that he thought that he's been there for a couple of months and he's just meeting her just kids now. Something. Yeah, <laughs> And then there's sort of this great line that I've heard quoted a lot in articles: is is Murphy refers to herself like June Cleaver on acid, which, I love. which is a great line. <laughs> uh, Murphy tries to bribe the kids to to not. They're they're hungry. Um, Want to oh, go it, home? Yeah, but she also does another one of her sort of amazing monologues. An epic Murphy speech is what I yes. wrote in the notes. So bribing not working. And Eldon, who we later will know will be great with kids, yes. uh, goes, you're not doing this right. Hey, kids, you want to paint the house? I, at first, I
1: thought he his the roller he's holding had green paint on it. Yeah. But then I realized they were just green rollers.
0: Oh, I thought it was. No, because
1: like he touches something with it. And they're oh, all just okay. they're unpainted yet. So the my favorite quote within that little tirade yeah. is at the threat is, I want to finish, I want to finish by tomorrow or I will take this roller and I will put it someone that hurts you. Is that
0: clear? The, and this is sort of a template for the kind of sort of rants that Murphy mm-hmm. is going to have. So this, as I said, like this episode has a lot of them. Uh, and he goes, I think mommy needs a nap.
1: Now, this is, I find very fascinating this episode and the... Um, the commentary on uh, women being angry—I'm not that happy about Elden this joke, Actually, <laughs> yeah, this next joke I am not happy about, and just—I I, mean—and they get into a little in a little bit, a kind of stereotypical parent fight. I do appreciate the fact that Murphy's side of it sounds more like the. Oh, stereotypical she's male she's the argument. husband argument yeah she's quote-unquote yeah. in my family that was actually more the dynamic with the the male and female so i actually grew up in a, a kind of not but the thing is that we have Eldon responding to her to her upset with some uh this,
0: how about yeah how about a mite-all sandwich mm. i feel like maybe it's just not te- the test of time on the joke
1: I mean, it's like we talked about with the, the racist secretary joke. Yes, there you go. It worked then. It doesn't work now. It still doesn't mean that it's okay. It may be dated and it was okay then, but I think it's also important for us to talk about how it's it, it may have been okay then. It doesn't make it okay. I, the, the writing off a woman is like, ah, she's just on her period. Yeah. you PMSing? I mean, you could
0: also say that that, that is that is Eldon, and that is Eldon making a inappropriate comment.
1: Well, exactly, but in the same way that we say "quirky," making the "you're over forty, you're not ovulating anymore" joke is quirky. Mm-hmm. It is still of the
0: time. Yes. So it's 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 the same type of thing. I guess it's, I'm thinking because eventually Jerry Gold is going to make some pretty inappropriate jokes.
1: Yes, and I I love an inappropriate joke, but I still think that that dynamic of when a woman is being you, If you use the term bossy about a woman, if you comment on, oh, she's upset because she's on the rag, like those kinds of jokes. Oh, I agree. This joke makes me cringe. It's cringy to me because it's a man making that joke. And especially at a time period where maybe it was OK to make that joke, makes that joke OK. Because the audience likes Eldon. So they're going to be like, oh, because it's Eldon. It's funny. Whereas and I'm, I'm just going to I'm going to be hypercritical in this
0: moment because I just don't think those jokes are OK. Agreed. That's all. So Eldon suggests that they go to a fun restaurant. (laughs) Murphy reminds him that his truck doesn't have seats.
1: (laughs) I love that she says, is it a a house painter place? I don't want to go to a house painter place. (laughs) Like as if there are just like bars and pubs specifically for the house, the ilk that are house painters. Actually,
0: we do find out later there's a house painter bar. Um, So we find out that it's the Washington Crab House. (laughs) And I love that the waiter is like, you're Murphy Brown oh, this is exciting. He's kind of holding it in. Um, he looks
1: like he's trying real hard to play it cool. He
0: is, yeah. And this is the first time that Eldon is referred to as Mr. Brown, which always <laughs> cracks me up. Um, they put bibs around them, which is great, and then gives them mallets. And Murphy goes, good going, Eldon. Now they're armed, <laughs> which is yeah. horrible children. Um, and then, children. which we alluded to before, um, Eldon and Murphy pretty much have a husband, wife, father, mother fight a at the table. Eldon is too soft. Murphy is stuck disciplining them all the time.
1: But it's, weirdly enough, there are moments where Elden says things that Jake just said in the last episode. Oh my God. You're always in control. You always have to control everything. They're just, like it's a, she was just told this in the last episode.
0: We're really setting up a character dynamic. And I love the fact that they're already now a married couple.
1: Also, I literally have this argument with my boyfriend about the cats. I'm like, I always have to discipline them. And I'm the one who has to like yell at them when they're on stuff, right? I, like, it's it's like what you do regardless of what
0: type of child you have. And as this is going on, they are raining terror on the salad bar. Because Elden's like, kids, there's Jello." Then someone, you know, is like, but you please control your children. <laughs> Murphy tries to control them and she can't. And she just goes the most Murphy of this episode oh, this off on them which at one point she goes, sit down you rotten little huns. Just stop throwing food you rotten little huns and go sit down. And the year someone go, is that Murphy Brown?
1: And then what I love is some of those I love those moments. Is, what I like is that, like we've talked about where she knows she's when she was with Jake in public when she was interviewing but she knows that people know who she is and she has this moment when somebody says is isn't that murphy brown and she suddenly realizes that everyone can see her and puts on this very like fake like hello kind of smile
0: it's also also a bit of an embarrassment face i think as well it is
1: but she's smiling through the pain of like she's fine so we cut to the next day it is christmas eve at fyi uh corky comes in same pencil skirt but with a white blouse and black hair clip and phil is over chatting with her and they're talking about the food for the party and what I love is that Phil hasn't changed out of his apron or anything; he just has his coat on. But
0: also, the coat is pretty much from 1973.
1: Oh, it looks like a couch we used to have. Uh, so she's discussing food and she about you know wanting mushroom caps and petit fours. And feels like he doesn't do that. It's weenie food.
0: Let he calls it weenie food. Weenie
1: food. He does hamburgers, chili, onion rings. He'll even throw in pork rinds for free. And she checks in with Miles, who breezes by, and he says, "Oh yeah, he canceled this week's broadcast to work on the centerpieces." And I took a picture, which I will post on the Instagram that I love, is she basically holds the, the grab bags hostage unless he transforms the space. <laughs> and he has this pout as he turns around and walks away that I happened to pause my, my PlayStation mm-hmm. uh, as it happened. And I had to take a picture because he just looks so miserable that he might not get his grab bag. Mm-hmm. And it makes me so happy that that's what's going to make him actually show up and do his job. Then Murphy gets dragged in from the elevator like she's on a dog sled <laughs> because oh she's tied the children together and she's just booking her way in there. We have to stop and talk about this outfit.
0: Oh, my God. It is, it's
1: is—it's what I want to wear tomorrow. It is, so she has a knee-length gray skirt. She has um, black hose. She has these amazing burgundy shoes that I didn't see until later in the episode when she's in the, still in the same outfit. A black blazer with silver buttons. She has a white blouse with a, a kind of a brooch at the at the top. And this poncho blanket scarf—I think it's
0: like a, a like a—it's like a pashmina. Yeah. yeah. And I always try to—I've dra- always—I've tried to drape a pashmina. and it does just, not look as cool.
1: It's draped and thrown over her shoulders. The green? And did these say the green? Green gloves?
0: leather gloves.
1: I used to have a pair of green glo- green leather gloves, and I miss them so much. And I saw that, and I realized that I, I need them again so that I can. Look like this outfit all the this time. This is
0: more towards what we will know is sort of Murphy style. She's so chic. Yeah. Well, the costume designer, oh. uh, Bill Hargate, said it's sort of a mix match wardrobe of Donna Karen and Calvin Klein mm-hmm. and Ralph Lauren. In a 1994 article with the San Francisco Chronicle, he said, women have thanked me because they think the way Murphy dresses has held them the dress for the workplace.
1: I So Lauren shared this article with me, which we will include in the show notes, that I'm obsessed with. It's, uh, it's after he, he passed um, in um, September of 2003. They, he died on September 12th. Um, they went back and kind of did an article about his work. And the article has a great memoir. where it talks about how he oversaw the wardrobe for the entire cast. And something that I love, because I love these histories, is he says, for Corky, he followed the dress code of Miss America beauty pageant winners who were expected to wear long-sleeved tops for day. Which, that specificity and that research, which, of course, you know, if somebody's doing their job, of course they're researching, but I just love how specific that is and it's and it shows up and it's something that is so iconic about her character
0: i love it when i read it i went oh of course of
1: course and i'm i love that because i i like having sleeves
0: this obituary also says that murphy brown averaged five costume changes per show Mm -hmm. which is impressive for a sitcom very much so um and something i wanted to share um Mm -hmm. since we are talking about an episode written by diane english Mm -hmm. and um we are now done with her bio but love to add like little things about the people who've written it, is something that I always admired about Diane was her style. Oh, yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, growing up that there were very few female writers that I could look up to, but also ones that were presented in a stylish way. There was sort of this stereotype. And I was recently helping a listener with information on um, Selma Diamond and mm-hmm. Lucille Callen, mm-hmm. who wrote for your show of shows. I'm sort of obsessed with that writer's room. There were only two women, one at a time. And the men maybe didn't consider them feminine, even though they were feminine. But there were these qualities that they didn't see them at that. So I don't think that it was that women writers weren't stylish. I think they weren't presented to me in that way.
1: Well, you also just... Writers, unless you went out of your way, you didn't think of them... You thought of their words. Mm -hmm. So it was rare that you saw... What you considered the visual of what a, a female writer looked yeah, like, yeah, and I
0: think also in general there are very few writers who become so synonymous as personalities. Exactly, you see show. them. Aaron Sorkin, Amy Sherman Palladino. Do you
1: know how many people I know, like those of us who grew up loving Gilmore Girls, couldn't pick Amy
0: Sherman Palladino out of a room? Oh, one of my favorite stories about her is I didn't know what she looked like until the DVD for season one came out. Yeah, and one of my best friends sent me a message that because she had seen it first mm-hmm. and said. Lauren, you're going to love her. She's wearing a top hat. <laughs> and she was correct. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so um, one of the things that I, the Diane said was in an article probably somewhere, you need to dress for the job that you're asking for. Nice. And then even when I had no money, I had a charge at Bloomingdale's. I really took that statement to heart growing up, and I find it funny in retrospect is that when I first moved to New York I didn't understand that Bloomingdale's was a little bit higher quality than some of the other department stores Mm. and so I took Diane's advice Mm -hmm. and then I came to New York go to grad school be an actor Mm -hmm. and I got a charge at Macy's (laughs) hey Macy's is fancy now Uh, but it's not as high end as Bloomingdale's sure
1: so the kids want to know where they're going to sleep tonight Uh, she says social services is coming today and they're desperate to know well how will Santa know where to find them
0: and uh, Murphy can't believe that they still believe in Santa in the episode. Probably my favorite line in the episode, which is, Santa, oh great, this is how it starts. First Santa, then the tooth fairy, then you grow up and invent the trickle-down theory. Oh, it's sad that that's still relevant. That's why I love the joke, actually. I think that's why the joke, I didn't write it down, because I
1: don't find it funny right now.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <sighs>
1: it's too real. Uh, anyway, so Murphy tries twice. To tell them that Santa doesn't exist, which, spoiler, listeners, Santa's not real. Uh, the magic of Santa is, though. So she tries to tell them twice, and she just can't do it and says, because I'll call and tell him where you are. You know Santa? Well, they met in a bar in Morocco. I love that line. Too. <laughs> it's so good. Joey hands her a letter for Santa to proofread. Mm. And what I like is she starts reading it. It's, dear Santa, how are you? And then immediately has an edit that she writes down. She, like, scratches something out. And this is the part of the scene where it really starts to get to me. And I, like we've said, like the, this, the episodes have changed for us as, as far as how they resonate. And I'd forgotten a lot of this episode and this scene really got to me. And granted also because Candice Bergen is selling this emotionally, Mm -hmm. but she starts to read it and they say that they know he had a cold last year and that's why he couldn't visit them, but they understand And you see her kind of start to take this in. And then they ask if he could give something to Murphy for taking care of them. A pony would be nice. We think she really needs one.
0: I I need to just drop in the fact that um, I think this is a big die in English thing. Yeah. There's an episode of the series Love and War that she also Mm -hmm. created, which Jay Thomas is in. There's an episode where they there's it's about a couple mm-hmm. and they meet each other's parents and the probably the stand and Diane character because mm-hmm. she has said it is sort of mm-hmm. based on her relationship with her husband uh says that something to the effect of like you know she never forgave us because we didn't get her a pony for christmas mm-hmm. and i was like wait a second and i went back because yep. now little advertisement love and war is now part of amazon prime oh cool but i think that the happy ending to the story is a according to Diane's social media, she has a horse now. She
1: has a horse so, now. <laughs>
0: but it looks like
1: someone wanted a pony. Someone really wanted a pony. Um, and Murphy says she'll make sure that Santa gets it. And she has this lovely moment of sudden, just wistful sweetness of, you know, I always wanted a pony. And yeah. she see, like, you see the kid in her for a second. And I love that Lily says she does too. She and, starts to
0: have these really great moments with Lily. Oh my on. gosh. Yeah. They're so
1: sweet. And, so then we have Francine O'Donnell from Social Social Services. Who's played by
0: Beverly Dixon, who happens to be Candace's dialogue coach. She's also an actress.
1: So she comes in to, to take them away. And this is when Murphy starts to get choked up.
0: Oh, my God. I never it, noticed her voice was cracking until I rewatched this. It killed me. I was getting super emotional watching this. She says,
1: uh, here they are, all three of them. And you ready to go, guys? Like the way she says that is very familiar. And then she says this like long, okay. Let's get our coats on. I type this whole thing out. It it takes them a while to get their coats on, and I think you should know. Joey walks in to sleep at night, so you should really keep your ears open. And Michael sounds like he's getting a cold. And Lily would really like a pony for Christmas. And then Franzi's, wouldn't we all? And just the way that you know that thing about like, okay, nope, let's do this. And I'm just gonna let you know because I know about these children. It's it's a very kind of mother hen moment, and she's trying to keep it together, but she keeps her throat keeps getting full, and it. You can hear her trying to just talk through and keep it together, and it really got to me. So that when Lily at the door turns her back around and says, Merry Christmas, you hear the audience, awe.
0: And Murphy's answer is just, right. Right. It's,
1: oh it got God. me. And then she bursts back out of the, uh, of the office and says, you know what, never mind. They should stay with me tonight. And Francine doesn't understand. She says, well, how will Santa know where they are? Because, you know, his his brain, his mind, memory isn't very good anymore. So we should keep him here to make sure. What Beverly Dixon does in this moment is so beautiful because she just stops and looks at her and says, speaking professionally, I think you made the right decision. Yeah. Which is the least professional thing she could have said in that moment. But I love that she just says, Mm-hmm. OK. And this is going back to your dying English anecdote, which is she says she hasn't talked to Santa since he forgot her pony last year. But this isn't the time to hold grudges.
0: Mm-mm.
1: So they're going to go shopping at the big toy store. She's going to make sure she calls Santa to make sure he knows. And I think it's Lily who says, do we have to wear the rope again? <laughs> no. And she just hugs all of them.
0: Of course, nowadays, they literally make this for kids. Yeah, it's there are leashes on there are past, leashes for children, which is horrifying. Yeah. Um, so we cut to Murphy's townhouse. They have gone shopping crazy, including a skateboard, which Murphy broke. I love that they come in and they, they're they complaining about it and you think one of the kids broke it and Murphy's... Well, the
1: kid... This is one of my favorite... Sorry, I'm so sorry. No, 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 no go ahead. Um, it's one of my favorite 90s tropes is children speaking like adults to adults. So the little boy is coming in. I think it's Joey. Says, I can't believe you broke the, broke the skateboard. We bought it 20 minutes ago. And she's like, well, you tried in heels. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a... It's a, we see it in so especially in like Christmas movies and so on. So many of these kids well, sure. that are talking and like parenting. Are their writing them. Parents. Yeah. I love it.
0: But they've been, they've been I think they've been well written kids actually. Yeah. yeah. So the surprise is that Eldon <laughs> wearing a shirt that's a present. It's a he has a bow on it's it. It's a bow and a He's shirt. It's wrapped. a present. He got them a Christmas tree mm-hmm. as a Christmas gift. And, oh he decorated the entire house. Yeah. Like all the painter's tarp is gone. The whole thing is back. And Murphy's so touched. And then there's another surprise because Santa, a.k.a. Phil, who's perfect to be Santa, yes. has come. He would come down the chimney, but he's got a bad back. Yeah,
1: he has bad back. Have you ever tried to lift one of these things because yeah. he's bringing in a pony? I also like to point out that Eldon says, um, well, she says she's never seen a tree this beautiful.
0: She's so touched.
1: And she's so touched. And he said, well, he was going to get her something for Christmas. It was this
0: or a water pick. <laughs> He's practical. He's practical. Yeah. So Murphy thanks Phil. He's like, just give me a hundred bucks. It'll be mm-hmm. fine. You know, they have a great sort of, she puts like her arm around him as they yeah, walk as towards she walks the door. In. Oh, yeah. I, can I just, one of my favorite Phil things Yeah,
1: is he says, uh, oh yeah, they, they ask him how he gets around in one night to give toys to everyone. And he says, oh, I got a really souped up sleigh. Brought a couple elves in from Japan. Took the thing right to the
0: 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Every time he says the 80s, it like takes me out. And I go, oh, that's right. Oh, We're yeah. still in like uh, 88. Yeah, still the 80s. So it's a 90s show. Also,
1: they ask if he found their mommy yet.
0: Yeah, and he says that he doesn't, you know, he's working on it. and Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope, yeah. And then apparently one of Murphy's bedtime stories is about Watergate.
1: (laughs) It makes me so... And she says, and Lily says it wistfully, can you tell us about that? she says, if you're good.
0: This comes up a lot. Yep. (laughs) So uh, there's a knock at the door, and they think Santa forgot something, but it is actually the kid's mother.
1: The thing that bothers me, though, is...
0: This entire
1: and I don't know if I thought this when I was younger, but as an adult watching this, who gives the children to this lady? She's been MIA for two days. She just surrendered her children has and shows that like who told her where the children are? How did she know how to get to Murphy's house? How did she find Murphy's house? Who deemed this woman who just dropped children off with no superior, like with no chaperone at an office building is? fit to have these children back. What was she doing? I'm I'm so I'm so distracted by her showing up by herself with no one to like support her being there. Well I
0: think it's why it's not one of my favorite episodes, although I'd rather watch this than most things.
1: I think if I was if I'm able to suspend my disbelief, it's a very touching scene. Mm-hmm. Especially with the way Murphy deals with it and says she like really if does, you ever need yeah. anything, contact me. But I just cannot get past who gives these children back to this woman.
0: I think Murphy's a bit dazed as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just like, I can't ima- I can't see social services being like, oh yeah, just go pick them up at Murphy's house because yeah. they've been involved I now. figure
0: she went to the office because that's where she sent the kids first. I figure
1: she's a stalker and knows where Murphy Brown lives and didn't check with social services at all. Could have been that. Which,
0: again, who is this woman? But no, I think someone that the office gave the Murphy's address. That's again, what I think happened. What is-
1: adult gives someone's address who is a public figure, gives you their direct address? address i know we're in a different I know, time
0: i know and it's before rebecca schaefer
1: and definitely before rebecca schaefer and you know the privacy and the the lines of public interest no, it's has wrong. not been quite blurred yet but i just i can't get past this this plot point really bothers me
0: i'm not a fan of this plot point in general the the this trope
1: it's very it's very touching and i have to say and i i don't mean to hijack it and just criticize but i i I, it just,
0: well, I think that we need to get to the fact that yeah. the sweeter moment within the series, even though this is a wonderful moment with the kids and mm-hmm. Murphy doesn't want to say goodbye to them and she wants to send them their bedroom sets and all this stuff
1: and the ice rink.
0: <laughs> she writes them a check. The mother doesn't want it. But Eldon is wants to let her know. No, this is something she doesn't usually do. You need you need to take this check mm-hmm. is, you know, they're sort of left with the tree and some of the presents and and Eldon uses this time to say, well, I'm I guess I'm done and they're both vulnerable and Murphy's mm-hmm. vulnerable. And it's something that I didn't re- remember the first time. And this is such a pivotal moment for them because this it's is her choice. It's her choice, but it shows how lonely in general, I think Murphy is. They both are. And we talked about that in our first episode, that there is sort of a fine line between independence and loneliness, mm-hmm. which we all go through no matter who we are. But I sort of love that that's something that is depicted in this show, particularly now looking back at it at a different age. But it. It's so important now to what we know becomes of their relationship is they don't want to let go of each other. They they both don't really have anyone. So Murphy makes up another reason for him to stay. She needs mm-hmm. her bedroom painted and that he... And so she gets him to stay a little bit longer. I just love when he says, who sold you the wallpaper, Robert Goulet? And then Murphy, because they're so sad, mm-hmm. realizes that, that they need to go to a party. And she knows of a really really great party that they're going to go to and ask Eldon to go with her. He he agrees to. Well,
1: she has to feel drive.
0: Oh, that's true, because they're setting up the joke, which is, okay, but if I get lucky, you're taking the bus home, (laughs) which, oh, Eldon.
1: So we're back at FYI, and the party is raging. Corky, which, this is something I love, now has a, a new blazer over the outfit she was wearing prior, which is a red plaid blazer with a black collar, and it's kind of like the plaid Christmas version of Murphy's red blazer, which we love, which is actually the formation of part of our logo.
0: Oh yeah, I never thought of that. And she's like
1: the Christmas version, and she's and she's looking a little miffed, standing next to Mile, who was decorating not for Christmas, um, but for Hanukkah. Success! He did it. He decorated, and he's asking, you know, it. She. He says, after all, my hard work hasn't gotten one compliment. And he's so he so knows what he's done. He knows what he's done. <laughs> so I have a question, and I want to see if I'm right. Okay. So he's currently touching the giant Hanukkah menorah. Isn't that called a Hanukiah? Isn't
0: that the Hanukkah menorah? Because
1: all of them are called menorah.
0: Yes. So they're and all called menorah. Specific one for
1: Hanukkah. Yeah, because it
0: has this. It has the eight, well, the nine because you have the yeah. Shema yeah, in the exactly. middle. The Shema is the one that used to light all the yeah. other ones. I was trying to remember what the
1: name of it was. I wasn't sure
0: if you knew. Uh, I mean, I know there's a special I'm not name. the best Jew. Hey, you're the best Jew I know. But I remember Shema.
1: And then she says something that I want to ask you about. I'm excited. After all my hard work hasn't gotten one compliment, she says, you're a real Shemazel.
0: I think she says, has anyone ever told you you're, you're a real, real Shemazel?
1: And walks away. And I was like, okay, so I don't know what that means, so I'm going to look it up. And it's specifically defined as in consistently unlucky or accident-prone person so I, I want to ask you this question, but I want to pose it in a way that um, a, a podcast I enjoy called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text um, uses it, which is the Jewish practice of Havruta, which is that I want to ask you a question. And I want to give you my uh, what I think the answer is. OK. And then your job is to give a potential other answer, which might be the correct answer.
0: Hi, Lauren Milberger for the Jewish side. I'm ready to go.
1: It's not a side. It's you're connecting and understanding something by asking each
0: other questions. Oh, no, I was just like pretending I was on a quiz show. I know,
1: but you're missing the point. Okay, sorry. Um, so I think that she gets us wrong, unintentionally, that she did about half her research, and because it, 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 this is a not a commonly known Jewish word, so I think that she took the fact that he had said earlier that he was Jewish, and actually eventually processed that, and looked into it, and found a word. and Because I believe, if I'm correct, this comes from a story, and that she got the wrong part and applied it to him.
0: I love that you've thought this hard about all of this. I care. Because my th- first thought was, a little highfalutin Yiddish for a woman who had never met a Jew before. So I love this. And so this where makes would she have gotten it? Much more sense, um, because I do this kind of stuff about Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> so... Okay, so I, I think she does get it wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think there's probably two parts to it. Okay, This is my guess. Okay. My guess is that that word is replacing another word that they weren't allowed to say. What is the word? Schmuck. Oh, that was, you weren't allowed to say that then? I, I wonder. Interesting. Okay. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I played Gilda Radner, so I know a lot about SNL. Yep. And when you read the big SNL book, they talk a lot about well, can we say this word or can mm-hmm. we say this word? Yeah. And sometimes they would try to get certain things by practice and standards that they wouldn't realize. Mm-hmm. So it could just be the person who was reading the original script and was like, you can't say that word. Mm-hmm. I know I've heard schmuck on TV before, yeah. but I can't remember when. But schmuck, translated, probably is a word that would not be able to say at the time. Sure. So I wonder if that's the case, mm. because there's no way that he's a schmazel.
1: Which what Well, yeah, because if the, if the Shemazel is a consistently unlucky or accident bound person, that doesn't fit this
0: reference. So, Shamil and Shemazel mm-hmm. are uh, words that usually come together. That's, I think, the story I'm thinking about. Yes. So, here we go. So, most people might know Shamil Shemazel from Laverne and Shirley, uh-huh. which is actually the first time I even that heard it. where I know Yeah. Shamil, Shemazel, Haas <laughs> <Hoss> and for <Femper> Incorporated, <laughs> we're gonna do it. So, you could, maybe, Corky... Learned it from Laverne and Shirley, you know, Um, but the story that is usually told to explain the difference is that, so the Shamil is a klutz and the Shemazel is an unlucky person. So the idea that the Shamil spills the soup on the Shemazel. Ah. So the Shamil is a person who is like bumbling and a klutz and inept. That would be me. Spills things. Whereas the unlucky person is the one that has it spilled on them. Funny enough, when I, I talked to my mother about this in pre- preparation for this episode mm-hmm. is the, su- mean- the soup story is the way she'd always had heard it. Mm. The way it was explained to me, and she was like, I don't, never heard that, was the Shamil is someone who falls out the window, <laughs> and the Shamazil is the guy that the guy who falls out the window falls on. Oh my gosh, that's way more aggressive. <laughs> yes. So that oh, was, that's, a, violent. that's how it was described to me. I mean, it's very clear. It's very clear. We can assume that Corky used the word incorrectly. Also, though, Shamazel mm-hmm. comedically does have a certain it ring to fun. it. It yeah. sounds better. So even if you want to say his... Shemazel
1: inf- sounds like it sounds Jewish. Yes. And so in that moment when well, she calls him a Jewish name after he decorated... Part places, of the word is Mazel. Exactly. Which is
0: luck. Yep. Which makes sense. So it's... Shamazel, bad luck.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's it's the joke makes sense regardless of if she understands the word because he decorated for Hanukkah so she puts him down with a Jewish word. So Murphy appears and was like, Murphy's here. And she says, oh, this is my friend Eldon. And he's actually, he's her friend. And what I love is Corky, who's still in like party planning mode, says, okay, Murphy showed up and she brought a friend so let's all think about, let's all think before we take that extra meatball. And she walks across and Eldon just, follows her with this longing gaze. I love the way that Murphy just like hits him in the arm and then draws attention to, yes. "Let's let's play some real music." And he has been holding a boombox the entire time.
0: Can we talk about this boombox? I is, think we own that boombox. This boombox is like out of a movie from the 1980s that involves some kind of breakdancing that I used to watch. It looks like a boombox and a boombox from the 80s and a movie about
1: boomboxes from the 80s. Yes. It is so like stereotypical boombox.
0: The movie is called Boombox from the eighties, Electric Boogaloo. Electric boogaloo. Electric boogaloo.
1: And so we start playing the other song from this episode, which is "Ain't Too Proud to Beg" by I love the Temptations. This
0: song so much. "Ain't Too Proud to Beg" is actually the name of the Temptations musical that will be at the Kennedy Center and hopefully come to Broadway. Nice. It's a little segue into that. So "Ain't Too Proud to Beg" is a nineteen sixty six song and hit single by the Temptations for Motown Records. It is also on the Gordy label. The song peaked at number 13 on the Billboard pop charts and was a number one hit on the Billboard R&B charts for eight non-consecutive weeks. It's a good song.
1: So for the second time, we see Eldon and Murphy dancing together, and they're just jamming out, and Eldon announces, Challenge dance. And Jim goes, What's that? And they form the lane, and our pairs that go down are, we have Eldon versus Murphy, looking fantastic. Then we have Frank versus Corky, and what I love is Corky's actually doing The Pony. dance step in the episode about the pony just saying then we have phil as santa versus miles (laughs) and finally jim by himself standing there looking a little uncomfortable everyone says come on jim and encourages him and we end the episode with jim popping the button on his suit jacket and well he tries and he he jim dances and it's so precious (laughs)
0: It's the first time we really see him kind of break loose, though. But he's still put together. Like, I know. He's still jerky, and it's amazing, and, and I, lo- I love it. I love that he kind of, you see, he he doesn't want to do it, but he does. does. Doesn't.
1: It's like, don't make me say. Yeah. And he just, like, pops the button and then just gets down in his little gym way.
0: I also have to say that uh, Murphy's got some rhythm here, a little more than she had in, yeah. in, before. And so I wonder if mm-hmm. there's a little more Candice Bergen dancing than yeah. actually Murphy. Although she has the arm, the Murphy, the arms Those thing. Those arms, man. But she does a spin. She does a pretty awesome yeah, she spin. she does. This scene is so much joy. And um, it's such a great ending to the episode. We emailed Barnett Kilman. He talked about how much he loved this scene Mm -hmm. and that it was uh, him and Robert's idea to have Eldon notice Corky. Yeah. Which then later on the writers do take up as a thing that he's in love with Corky, which is such a great little element that sort of was added and they they go on. And it's just a visual. Yeah. Moment. And the writers were like, "Oh, oh, let's take that. Let's let's make that a plot point." Um is because of Murphy Brown and the music, I made my mother teach me the 1960s dances. Oh. I don't think I remember most of them anymore. I mean, I can do the twist, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um something interesting too, uh, they talk about the challenge dance, mm-hmm. which is very popular in the African American community. Oh, yeah. And I always think of it as from Soul Train.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the first visual I have. Yeah. So that's the episode. Yeah. That is Murphy's Pony. We will see you guys next year. Oh my god! Next year—that's crazy. Uh, please remember to to follow us on social media on on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Our handle is Murphy Brown Pod. Uh, we have something different on each one of them, so so please check us out wh- whichever platform you prefer.
0: Uh, please check out our website; it's MurphyBrownPod.com. dot com. Also, you can find the Murphy Brown Empowerment playlist link there from mm-hmm. Spotify.
1: And uh, please subscribe on iTunes. It would mean so much to us. It um, Please re- leave a rating and a review. Um, it, beyond our, our own uh, self-congratulation and being excited that you care. Um, we also, that helps get us out to more people. It, it raises our, our visibility on those platforms. Please call the number that we provide and leave a voicemail. We'd love to hear how Murphy Brown has influenced you and what it meant to you.
0: Yeah, and we'd love to include a little brief part of it on the episode. If you don't want to call the phone number, you can also record something on your phone and email it to us. Mm-hmm.
1: The phone number is 646-450-6902. Um, as we have um, recently been I'm very excited to find out, we do have international listeners so hi to our, our friends uh, down under and, uh, and elsewhere. And if you're doing that, the country code is one. And you can
0: email us at murphybrownpod, murphybrownpod, at gmail.com.
1: And our next episode uh, will be Baby Love, featuring the song Baby Love by the Supremes. That's easy.
0: Go listen. Have a dance party. And we'll see you in 2018. For another edition of FYI. The Murphy Brown Podcast. Schmuck.